Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. This is a special. Uh, this is a special episode, folks. So warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my fourth time returning guest, my only guest to ever be on the show first time, Miss Jenny Gilbert. How are you, Jenny? I'm great, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. We were talking off our four times. What does it mean? Does it mean that we just can't like we just don't find anything better to do on a Friday morning than to chat with each other? I don't know. I think it's because we have amazing content. And the fan mail that just keeps pouring in whenever you and I do an episode. I don't get fan mail. I'd like to get fan mail. It'd be kind of fun. Big bag like they do in the movies. Drop it off. <laughs> well, there'd probably be some things in there. Yeah, anyways. I don't know if it'd all be fan mail. But we'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. So we've been on. This is our fourth show. Six Intelligences of Leadership. Number 154. I did, I did my research just slightly before the show. Psychological Safety, episode 196. And recently, most recently, Emotional Intelligence, uh, number 214. All fantastic episodes. All kind of pivoting around, obviously see some work that you do and the work that you live and breathe. So for anyone who hasn't had the privilege in this, maybe it's our fourth time, but maybe their first, give us a little bit of kind of what you do day to day. What, what, what does your life look like? And then we'll get into today's topics, which I'm really excited about. Okay, cool. Thank you, Tyler. So uh, what do I do day to day? I spend a lot of my life working with SAIT here in Calgary and those intelligences tie into a new leadership approach that we're running from there. So we talk about six different intelligences towards leadership. You named the first two, psychological safety and trust, emotional intelligence, and then we have social, collaborative, adaptability, and digital intelligence as well. And I spend the rest of my life, working life, talking to leaders, clients, organizations about leadership, and we're going to call them the power skills today. We're leaving soft Ooh, skills behind. Let's skills. call them power skills. I read it somewhere and they said, you know, if you have communication, you have the power to dot, dot, dot. So let's call them power skills now. And it, nothing sensible and no numbers. There you go. 
<laughs> the power skills. I find it seems like for a while, or maybe it's just my own version, that we've moved away from some of those kind of like harder, more like, Bruh, you know, kind of maybe almost stigmatized words in, in corporate. So to hear them called the power skills, I kind of like it because that works for my kind of sense of. But am I wrong to think that maybe we've shied away from some of those more heavy, heavy hitting aggressive style language that I think was very prevalent in business for a lot of years. It felt like it fell out of fashion for a few years, or maybe it was just, maybe I was just using them too much. I I think it depends where you were like, yes. And, um, and, and again, depending on where you are, we see a very allergic reaction to the word soft skills. And and still to this day, you and I have chatted about emotional intelligence. You know, people still say to me, there's no place for emotions in the workplace. Uh, great. Let's have a conversation. Let's chat about that. Um, so it's kind of like saying there's no place for humanity or humans in the workplace because yes, they kind of go together, yes. right? You can't you, you can't separate the egg and the yolk. You know what I mean? They, when you open them up, they're together. It's all part of it. it You've got to deal with them properly. Yeah, That's a weird analogy. Is. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> We, 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 there's no place for humanity around here. What? Did you just say that out loud? No. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We do, we do live and work in Calgary, and I'm proud of the city, but I joke, and I've heard it said many times, this is a city run by accountants and engineers. And I have some family members that are engineers, and now they say they're not emotional, but I know they are. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My dad's an engineer too, so... Yeah. Uh, fair, okay, fair enough. Fair so enough. we speak with a degree of credibility. We well, today we were toying around of like, what amazing topic do we bring to our fortunate audience? Well, I'm really pouring it on thick here this morning. Um, we, we better have a good episode because I've really set the stage. I was recently on a podcast and someone said to me, they said, hey, Tyler, what are your two, what are the two buzzwords that you're just kind of the most tired of? And I wasn't allowed to say pivot because I think that's the one that we've all been just thrashed with for the last kind of 36 months. And off the top of my head, I quickly said collaboration and the whole concept or phrase of high-performance team. And it kind of caught them off guard and maybe caught me off guard. And and I share that with you. And I think that's where we're going to use this at our, our launch-off point. And collaboration, high-performance teams, we'll just let that settle. And it means whatever it means to you as the audience. But from your perspective and in the work you do, when you hear those words, what does it mean to you? And let's uh, let's see where this one goes. <laughs> It, it always guaranteed a good conversation. Like when I hear those words, <laughs> great, let's talk. Um, okay, so I think that they're horribly misunderstood and and okay. not by a fault. I can see why they would rub people up the wrong way because classically I think we do it wrong. And there's a great big blanket statement for you. But okay, yep. if you look at, let's say collaboration. Okay, you look at collaboration. What is collaboration? In an ideal world, collaboration is about all the great ideas that come from people around the table that didn't exist before we entered the room. If you look at how people enter a room for collaboration, they come with their ego to defend their status and title to compete within their performance management structure and to defend their beliefs. Those are two completely different things. So what we see in the workplace a lot are, um, David Marquet describes it, and actually this is brilliant. He says what we're doing is coercion. So we coerce people a lot. Let's motivate them. Let's get buy-in. Let's bring them to our side in the way that we believe. And that's not collaboration at all. That's coercion. Hmm. We just put nicer words on it, talking about losing those tough words in the in the workplace. And so in order to hit real collaboration, we're looking at a completely different style of conversation than the one that often happens. And so it's really 
natural that people sort of roll their eyes or sigh and like, oh, yeah, okay, collaboration. You're going to tell us your idea and ask us what we think and you'll think that you've collaborated. Well, no, you've told us your idea and you really want us just to agree so we can move on with your idea. It's not collaborating. <laughs> It reminds me of an old leadership quote that I heard. I think I think it's from Air Cadets. Leadership is the art of influencing human behavior as to accomplish the goal predetermined by the leader. And as a kid, I loved it. I heard it. And I was like, oh, it's so good. And then over the years, I've kept I've gone back to it and unpacked it. I'm like, well, wait a second. And with what you just said, that's a perfect definition for for coercion. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yeah. it, almost bang yeah. almost bang on. Yeah. How much I feel like I feel I'm asking similar questions again. There's the human side of this, but from an organizational level, again, this goes back to where did organizational structure come from? Military leadership, top down command and control. So, like, how do you move from a coercion based organ? I guess first is admitting it, but. I would say the majority of like being in working in marketing and always being the vendor working with companies. And a friend of mine taught me um, an acronym years ago, showed the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and I think these all resonate. So I guess when you, when you, when you hear these words in an organization and you rub your hands together and you say, Oh, let's talk, yeah. which I love, you get that glint, you get the glint in your eye that you get. Um, how does a company even begin to start to move? I guess first is being aware that you're maybe not doing one as much as you'd like to say you are. But how do you go down that process? Because you've got a whole bunch of humans in the room that maybe have been doing this for 20 years and you've got others that are just coming out of school and are really kind of just watching what everyone else in the room does so they know what the culture here allows. How does that all come back to then moving maybe more towards collaboration and away from coercion? So <clears throat> I think the important word in what you just said there is culture. Um, it's, a, it's a, such a large piece of it and at a really simple level so at a human level individual level we have to shift from judging straight away to joining so if I come into conversation around table and Tyler I'm judging your ideas I'm not joining you in that conversation so a really effective collaboration stems from we're all aligned as to what we're trying to solve or where we're trying to get to so we're aligned on the on the goal let's call it and then within that we've got that almost fearless think psychological safety that we we're talking about before that fearless yes and mentality so get the word but out of your vocabulary it's not yeah but we tried that already or yeah but that won't work it's yes and but did i hear that er everything before but is bullshit i heard that years ago <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh you look so good today but your hair yeah, oh yeah. what all i heard was but my hair <laughs> yeah and and it's true like really true so yes and and then this one, the last one is surprisingly difficult for people, is we have to shift from that me to we. So can we stop judging, get curious, and lean into we? And in doing that, really, my job is to make you look brilliant and the other person and the other person and the other person around the table. And we're not very good at that as a general rule. We think we are. like We're, we're good, caring people. And here's a bit that comes in, and this is where I think, your eyes light up because organizationally often on a performance level we ask our leaders so we ask our leaders to build high performing teams and do this collaboration thing and we do this collaboration thing because we need creativity we need innovation and we have to keep moving forwards and, and keeping up but then as an organization we on our performance level pit individual against individual against individual so now on your team each person is rated 
which is the craziest system ever. How do you feel about being a 4.8, Tyler? You know, and, and you're, <laughs> but you need that 4.8 because then your bonus, you know, your God help us again, then your bonus is going to be better than my, you're competing with the people in the room. Why on earth would you make Jenny look brilliant when that's the difference between that performance rating? And so that culture piece is huge. What are we measuring? And always setting people up for success to have collaborative conversations. And that happens in a team on an individual level, but it also happens, I believe, in a lot of places, team versus team. And so now the teams are competing against each other. So then we get silos because we've got to get this or the whole team fails. So there's so many different dynamics that don't help us. Uh, curious, com- competition. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. We love it. We watch it. We watch sports. We win. We lose. We compete. We try to win. How much does that play? Because again, I've watched read, read books and read case studies about competitive cultures where that actually they drove each other. And oftentimes the end of the story, something got toxic and it kind of went, went wrong. But I'm just curious, where does competition and that drive or that motivation or, or, or is it not worth the price of admission kind of thing? Like competition inside an organization to push each other to do better or does it usually just end badly for some for one of the parties involved? I think it depends on the industry and depends on the the team. Um, okay. Generally, again, you know, as a sort of general blanket, teams compete quite well against each other. And within that that team, now we're talking about, you know, are we building that high performing team? Can we put shift one against shift two or this team versus that team? We can do that if we manage it properly. But a lot of it, what we have to remember is you're always going to get results. You will always get results. That's a what. Performance is the input that maximizes that result. And so what we need to care more about is what does that perform? What do people need in order to perform? And so if we're supported in what we need in order to perform, then I'm going to feel better about that competition because I can show up as the best version of myself. And I think the other thing we have to remember, Simon Sinek sort of piece, are we in the finite game or are we in the infinite game? And the infinite game has got to be the game that we want to play in if we're going to survive and thrive. The infinite game, finite game, it's an interesting concept. I, I was exposed to an idea a few years ago. It was a, I'm, in, I'm in tech, an executive organization. We meet once a month and we bring in speakers. It was a gentleman out of the US. His name was Tom Foster. And he had taken a piece of work done by, I think it was an industrial psychologist. His name was Elliot Jacks. Well, I'm really, I'm pulling way deep in my memory banks. Impressive. Name drop here. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Um, this one, I guess it was, you remember what was impactful, right? And he did a whole thing on time span, which was the concept of they, he did all this work and had the big thick book and identified that the, a, a, an individual's kind of one of the number one factors for success was their ability to hold time span in the work they do. And they kind of like a level one was two to 30 days. And a level two was kind of project manager, someone that could look at three to six months. So when you talk about finite and infinite game, I mean, he kind of laid it out as like in society, it'll be distributed in a certain way and people with shorter time spans can be experts in what they do, but they're not great at looking way down the road, but they can be amazing. So it's not about they're less valuable or less talented or less skilled. They just have a different time reference. You know, they need to be told what comes after next because they're so in the weeds of the technicality of the thing. So when you talk about infinite versus finite, by that theory, I'm just laying that over top for the for, for the sake of the conversation. 
infinite concept is great, but holy shit, I have a deadline on Friday. So you know what? That's an interesting <laughs> dynamic because yeah. yeah. the world conspires to make me think in a finite way because yeah. milestones and sprints and weeks and scrums and all this stuff, none of it's long-term. <laughs> it's all now. <laughs> and I would say our world has become so obsessed with can you do it faster? That's great. Can you have it done in a week? Well, that normally takes six weeks, but how about six days? So how much does that even compete and drive high performance? Because locking a bunch of people in the room and say, get this done by tomorrow and then calling it high performance, I would disagree that that's what I would call yeah. it. So how much does that play into really conspiring against thinking in an infinite mindset? So I think you always ask good ones. You can hear that pause. Like that's my brain working right there. We we need both. Like there's there's no doubt about it. Our our infinite game is made up of lots of different finite pieces. There's your deadlines. And and you know, often when we talk about those power skills and all these intelligences attached to leadership, people fear, literally fear and, and challenge. Well, it's just going to be a party. No one will get any work done. And actually, the truth of it is this is all about accountability and hitting that high performance. So how do we how do we use that again? If you push results, 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 you create that culture of fear. You create that culture of unhealthy competition, which is anxiety. And the impact you know, of that is huge. We don't we don't really need to talk about it. It's well known. If you're looking after the performance, even if the deadline is tight, your leadership shifts slightly because we're going to get the results. But if we can look after that that performance piece, what do you need to be successful? And so the goalpost change, we have to do it in six days. And let's take a minute here too. There, there's accountability there to, to rein people back to realistic as well. Like we see it all the time mm. in the learning world. Oh, your course is three days. Can you do it in the morning for me? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I, I can. And I guess sometimes it's okay to just say no to like, no, well, I can't. Yeah, and, and, and so the yeah. answer is yes, but which part would you like? Because there's no, even if I speak, you know, I grew up in England, even if I speak with my good British rate of speaking, which is way faster than this one, it's still not getting it in, in the morning. So there's that part too. But when we look after the performance, we look after our people. And that's the key, I think. Uh, no, no doubt. Um, ages, groups, uh, cohorts of of twenty somethings versus forty somethings, and we're all in the room together in in this in this room and doing this project that's due at this at this deadline, which might seem unrealistic. What are you seeing? And even with who you get to speak to, it, is this a human situation, or is there a generational factor that also kind of layers into this of maybe unlearning some old habits versus you got a new generation? It's like, well, I'm. I don't even tolerate that it's that way anymore. Like there's, there's some interesting dynamics. And of course the media loves to grab onto because they make good, good headlines. <laughs> We're funny, aren't we? Because I think Time Magazine did this study where they took all the covers as new generations per their year came in and, and the covers are exactly the same on time. We accuse the next generation of the same thing always, every time. Always. I do think, you know, I think you have an important point there. I do think there's a legacy of leadership that's hanging on in some places. And so to come back to that coercion piece again, that might be all that somebody has known for the longest time. And, and so unlearning, that's a really, that's a great point that you brought in there. Unlearning, yes, maybe we do have to. And what, what do we need in order to change this conversation? Your acronym of the HIPPO, one of my favorites, absolutely. So if you're the HIPPO, highest individually paid person's opinion, yeah, actually, your only job is to stop talking. 
and listen really carefully. So we think collaboration, we think, okay, everybody talk because we need everybody to talk. No, everybody listen and let one person talk. And while they're talking, remember that let's join them, not judge them and build that yes and and build that yes and. And the other piece, not so much in the generational, but horizontal diversity works really, really well for collaboration. We want that diversity of thought around the table. If you and I think the same way, um, plan the same way, do everything the same way. Okay, well, now one of us is useless because we're just providing the same stuff. So we won that. But, to get, but together, we think we're pretty awesome. Well, of That's course the danger. We do. <laughs> <laughs> because we reinforce each other all the time. And so, you know, put the people around the table who, who make you think smarter, who will challenge, like up that intellectual friction. We don't want social friction then, but we do want to up that intellectual friction. And, and the people who can put solutions on the table quickly. That yes and, yes and, yes and. And sometimes vertical diversity can really ruin that. And that's the hippo in there. And so we've got to get that power structure, that status out of the room when we when we truly want to collaborate. There's times when, that, I mean, that's another thing too. There's times when collaboration isn't the answer. And we see lots of organizations over collaborating. Let's collaborate about this, that, and the other. Mm. Let's do the job and collaborate on the stuff that we actually need to collaborate on. I, it's funny. I've, I've uh, horizontal versus vertical diversity, and I think we've all experienced that. Of like, oh, geez, well, geez, if the owner wasn't in the room, we'd have a different conversation. You're like, mm. ah. And sometimes that's just the reality, so you can't change it, but you can remove yourself from the room if you're in that senior position and kind of let it happen and trust a little bit. One thing I heard, I want to unpack a little bit. Um, I don't want everyone to think the same as me, but I'm also, I'm assuming, and please correct me, is this where values are so important? Because we can share similar values and have completely different approaches to a problem. But if we have completely different approaches and we don't, and we have completely different, like just how important values are in an organization beyond a sticker on the wall or a poster that's dusty in the lobby versus like the values is what allow us to disagree in a safe space. Is that the right way to think about values versus different ways and, and different, just completely different thought processes from different backgrounds, but we still share this agreement of how we are in this space together. Is that the right framework for that thinking? I like that. Uh, I, I like, you know, we were just talking about this on a seat breakfast conversation. But if you have your purpose and your values as a team, that if you like those, are your guardrails. And so, yes, that keeps us in, that keeps us within where we want to be as a team. Yes. Um, I was going to add to that and now I've lost my train of thought. So have the have the values as the guardrails and then the other piece is that empathy part empathy is so important in collaboration and empathy is another word it's right up there in overused and misunderstood and so you know empathy really what we're looking for in there is as you and I sit down at the table that empathy suggests that um, to each other's perspective we have a benign ignorance a very healthy curiosity. So replace the the judgment with the curiosity and then that growth mindset. And so I can enter a conversation with my beliefs, my position and leave seeing it completely differently. And that requires a real openness to be able to hear you to the level that you could affect me to that degree. The level of comfort that I believe that requires as an individual to sit there 
again, I think I asked you this the, probably the last three episodes. <laughs> you know, how much of it though is that individual coming to the room with my own insecurities and my own sense of having to be the loudest voice? And no, I'm not talking about myself at all. Um, you know, over the years of like, oh no, I have to matter, and like that's such a balance to be able to sit there and hold that opposing idea with as much affection and a, and a much openness as your own idea, which we've been taught is to, we have to like sometimes speak louder so that our idea gets heard. So we get our 4.9. I don't know why you only gave me a 4.8, but anyway, um, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> if there's a, if there's someone keeping score, then now we're competing. So like, let's play. And that's the danger of it right there. That's the whole thing. So for people with a competitive nature, how much do I have to bring? Or again, this is the personal journey of like, yes, as a team, we have to have values and agree on how we're going to operate and what our guardrails are. But this is still a bunch of, and I'm going to say this respectfully, and I think I've said it before, messy humans mm-hmm. showing up in the showing up in the room with how we were raised and the school where we went and the sports team we were on and the coach that we had and the brother that beat us up or whatever the case may be, or maybe the brother who did the beating up. Um, it, those are all things that show up in the room that really make it messy for an organization. Yes. So it, that was more of a statement than a question. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's so true. You know, we if you think about uh, and I love that we mention this every time us as messy humans when you know our, our job is if you're leading or facilitating this collaboration conversation we don't have to dig into everybody's deep dark past by any stretch but you know a really good place to to recognize as people come in a general take is we we're going to distrust we're trying to compete uh we're obsessive over our status we haven't lost that yet and we don't have that psychological safety in place. And, and I think people try and fast forward. Oh, we've heard collaboration is a really good, good thing to do. Let's do it. You actually can't do it until you've put the work in first so that, you know, my most competitive soul can sit in there and just pause for a moment and be more interested than they are interesting, to take one of my favorite quotes, and, and really just stop for a moment and hear that piece and add to that piece. And then when we leave the room, put that competition on, let's go get this done and make it reality. So what we're actually asking people to do is perhaps change pace. And that's another key piece that we were seeing now, especially post pandemic, I think it was bad before, but we are seeing companies really work at such a fast pace. But when they're working at that pace, they're executing and they're doing, and they're not taking the time to stop and to think. And that's where the collaboration piece comes in. And, and it is a different pace. And, you know, people, people at general rule, people behave badly when they feel powerless. And so it's about that environment that we create when we're holding those collaborative conversations. And now all of a sudden, they've become a special conversation, not an everyday conversation. Oh, gave me like 30, 30, I have like 37 questions okay, I think, good. from what you just said. <laughs> Going back to one that you touched on just on the word status. And mm. we work in environments now with highly diverse and hopefully the more the better, diverse cultural backgrounds in the room. And we think diversity, equity, inclusion, people from all over the world. There's a lot of countries, there's a lot of jurisdictions where status and class is a very real thing in those environments. We've all read the case study about the pilots that flew into a mountain because the first officer had no right to tell the captain what he was doing wrong. And it was, uh, I think, Malaysian Airline or something. Uh, I've read, I think we've all read that one. There's, a mil- there's so many stories like that. So how does that play into the fact that, yes, we're working hard to be better as organizations, I'll just broadly say that, but we're also working hard to be more 
diverse and have more perspectives in the room that also have very different cultural backgrounds that are not going to get changed because we all put a shared mission up on the board because they're very deeply ingrained. As a leader, how, how much does that factor in? And I'm only going to assume more as we become more diverse as organizations. You get what you tolerate, period. <laughs> and so if you're the... Touche. What a great just punchy bang. There's your answer. <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh, no, please. I, I love it. I was trying to think of, because there is, there's so much weight in there. And, you know, when you and I, Tyler, when we talked about psychological safety, we would have talked about those levels. And that first level yeah. of psychological safety is inclusion. So when you join an organization, when you join a team, are you welcome? Do you have that culture of belonging? And when you have that culture of belonging, it's easier to be able to call in the behaviors that aren't going to help us achieve the performance and then the results that we want. Mm. If we don't create that, then we've, we've really nowhere to go. And so, you know, as a leader, you, you do, you get what you tolerate. So if you let arrogance, ignorance, power, whatever one of those might play a part. You know, we, we can hear it. We know when somebody has judged someone or shamed someone publicly. What do we do with that? That's a choice right there. And that choice lies right into the culture, the conversation, etc. Like I, someone just sent me a 30 minute Brene Brown, uh, you, you know, the six elements of a toxic culture. And it was literally just everything you, you rhymed off. Oh, and it was all just humanity. <laughs> it was, it was humanity based. Someone just yeah. said it to me the other day. Some of us do it. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, you mean just not being shitty humans? Oh, interesting. There you go. Such a novel, yeah. such a novel, such a novel. <laughs> when you see it, when you see a team come together and maybe this is, really ta like down in the weeds question, but obviously we've got our corporate values and our big poster in the hallway when we walk into the office, but how much do you recommend? And it's, maybe it's the way you said it. And I've seen team, like when you bring together a team, especially if it's maybe not a group that works together on a regular basis, but we're here, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to do this thing. How important it is to set those, like spend that, do that little bit of work up front to set what are the values of this team? What are our guardrails? Like, is that a critical step? Because it feels like that makes the conversation one very safe and it's before anything goes off the rails or so-and-so did such and such. We just set the stage. Doing that step first feels like a critical piece in being able to be successful three weeks from now when we're kind of in the shit, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> in the weeds. Yeah. I'll say in the weeds. It, it's, it's more than, like it is critical. And I, I like the term set the stage. Um, what are your terms of engagement? And hmm. if we're truly going to lean into collaboration, like our old style is, the leader says at the beginning, here's the rules, here's the you know terms of engagement. <clears throat> the the collaborative way is what do we need to set the stage what are our boundaries i think i think this is the big thing that's coming forward we're not having enough boundary conversations we don't mm. speak about boundaries out loud most of us don't even know what our own boundaries are you know, we still have people who are working well beyond office hours because their computer's on their kitchen table and and so do you know your personal boundaries but here in this conversation you know, what, what is that stage? What are those terms of engagement? It's okay for us to disagree, but we're disagreeing in terms of making the product better, making the plan greater. So we have to be aligned that this is about the task and about making it better. Um, sometimes in that terms of engagement, can you override so-and-so's decision? Actually, no, you can't. So that's, that's out of our control. 
but they've agreed not to speak. We're not going to hear from them until the end so we can get everything on the table. That might be setting the stage so that we know where it is. It kind of goes against our whole hippo piece, but it's still as long as they're talking quiet there's the, or staying quiet, that's the set the stage. We're, they're going to speak last. You're not going to hear from them. We want to hear from you. Um, there's so much in that before the conversation starts. And some teams have it already where you have a very stable culture. They already know that. They get it. Mm-hmm. Other times we have to do it as we start the conversation. Yes. In an environment like that, how critical is having a, and I'm just speaking from my own experience, having a champion. I've worked for organizations, large organizations where they're like, listen, I'll manage our stuff. Yeah. You bring me the idea. You bring me the thing. Your team does the thing. We'll collaborate on it. And then I will then steward it in because I know how to navigate this big beast of an organization that we have. And all of a sudden, when you have that champion, just even as a vendor, as an outside partner, because let's be honest, this isn't always about working inside no, the same organization. No, yeah. We're all coming together in all kinds of fragmented, you know, and being someone who's been in the vendor chair for a lot of years, I've got to work with that organization who sometimes has a very different culture than ours, um, has a very different way of doing things. And when there isn't a champion, it's really can be a much more, you, you, you put a bigger budget forward because you know, it's going to take like 30% more time, yeah. <laughs> but you've got to, and that's just reality. Like don't, don't think it doesn't cost you organizations out there. It absolutely does. Um, but when you've got that champion and they have like the keys to their kingdom or the, they know how to unlock that Rubik's cube. Wow. You can all of a sudden now you've got your, you've got an ally, like allyship. And I know that can mean a few different things, but how much is, I'm assuming that nominating that person or having that even in your organization. So there's that champion that keeps the hippos at bay to me, that's a critical piece as well as around with setting the boundaries, who's going to be that, you know, champion rather than leader. I think so. Yes. And, and I like, you know, I like that idea. We're often working with different organizations. So that's a, a part of it. The, the cultures may not match. We do it differently. And so, mm. you know, can we name them? Do we know who they are? And also internally too, there are champions. There are people who, you know, we gravitate towards those people. We listen towards those people. So, you know, as you look at your network, who are my champions? Where does this sit? I, I think that's healthy. Mm-hmm. So critical. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tee this one up for you so you can knock it out of the park. Um, <laughs> nope, no, no, sorry. That sounds like <laughs> what happens when you sit with the leader? Like, no, no, I've, I've drive my people hard. I've never done any of these things and it's always worked out. I've, I've been able to do great things. And so why, why would I even think about it? And the argument is, well, okay, great. I'm not going to talk to you. You're not one of my people, but I'm assuming you run into environments where organizations bring something in and you get people in the room that are arms across and like, you know, it's always worked for me. Why would I change? Why would I change it now? I'm obviously being extreme, but I'm sure you've run into it. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, the, <laughs> okay, eighty twenty rule first. The filter's off. Yeah. What do you want to say to them? <laughs> eighty twenty. There are there are some who have been taught the whole way through. They've been taught control and command, protect the ego. You know, I worked hard for this status. I'm going to keep it. And I'm not against titles or hierarchy. It's a way that we do business. But when you are stopping the creativity, the pure brilliance that we can get from people, um, you know, we have to wake up and appreciate mm-hmm. that these are adults coming to work who want to do the job. Let's. Treat our messy humans as messy humans. You and I have said that plenty of times. Yeah. Um, we often can make a little bit of progress when we 
look at how we look at performance and results again. And so, you know, when we talk about performance, we talk about what are the challenges? What's the growth? Um, how are you recognizing people? And just setting people up for success to be able to show up and do their best work. And and there's something in even those who are cross-armed against this, this is all soft fluff, just do the day job. There's something about when you talk about if we push that performance that grabs people, we may get a, a spark of interest. And to people who work under those leaders and they're not budging, we come back to the old adage, you're not a tree, you're not stuck. So <laughs> if you, if yes, you, 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 you can ultimately decide yeah. with your choose, choose to be there or even worse is stay and, and not be there. You know what I mean? Well, That's and, the, yeah. Discretionary effort goes down and a good friend of mine, senior HR, she goes, Oh no, no. The worst thing isn't that they can leave. It's that they stay and mentally leave. That's the actual worst thing in an organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And for every, for all parties involved. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it, yeah, sometimes we don't, we don't get anywhere. Just, but I find in life, there's, there's, you, those people can go about their, they can go about their business. That's okay, because there's usually enough that go, yeah, no, I'm actually into this. And but I think you're right. I love what you said. If you hook, throw that word, you hook performance in there. You're like, hmm, okay, well, if I can get more performance, I might be willing to entertain some ideas. Like there's still, there is a little something in there to kind of bring it in from a, that, that word performance, which you can be in that other camp and still, oh, that performance word, like that's appealing. You like that word. Yeah. And if you find a way to tweak it, well, you know, may, maybe it just, I just might give it a try. This darn thing just might work. So if you were going to lay out a little bit of, and you've kind of said them throughout when well, maybe a little bit of it, just kind of circle circle it circle it around here for our audience collaboration high performance what are some of the key criteria like let's just lay out a little bit of someone if someone's got their pencil out and they're about to take some notes what are some of the key things if we're going to like okay we want collaboration. Here's a few of the ground rules. Here's a few of the guardrails we want. Here's high performance. Here's how we know it's maybe happening. Here's what it starts to look like. How would you kind of give it a list, a little bit of a cheat sheet around these two terms? So collaboration is, is easier. Let's start there. Um, collaboration, we really, are you getting, are you collaborating for the right reason? First of all, are you having the right conversation? Uh, secondly, are you getting the right people around the table? Remember those who help you to think smarter, those who will see it differently, and those who can put a lot of solutions, not solutions, a lot of ideas on the table really quickly. The, the kind of underlying skill sets, um, listening, empathy, curiosity, um, feedback as well, actually, that ability to offer feedback and receive feedback. Um, these days, I spend far more time calling it feed forward. Okay, it, Are we helping, <laughs> lifting, as opposed to just giving you old history that you already know? We don't want to fill space. We want to be um, helpful in that situation. And there's a mindset piece in collaboration as well. So sometimes that's the really hard work behind it. And so are we joining to, you know, to use an old Coveyism, win-win all the way around, mm -hmm. or are we going to spend our time judging? So that, that those to me are the, the pieces that underlie collaboration. And then within your structure and collaboration, you know, are we aligned on where we want to get to? Because otherwise that's three different conversations. And do we have the psychological safety to lean in with that yes and and support each other? When we're looking at performance, it's a much bigger and a harder conversation, Tyler, because we sometimes end up fighting against what the organization has in place. And so 
performance management, here comes the soapbox, but performance management costs companies thousands every single year. And when you actually look at it, do they raise performance via that process? So statistically, I would say I've read a lot of those case studies as well, and they often show that no, it has yeah, the exact opposite effect that it was intended. Yes. Okay. But I've also I had, a, I had a speaker years ago, and they shared that it was like so much of that was put in for liability and HR reasons, and it was actually like the motivations and the original reasons for doing a lot of that was not related to performance at all. It was related to all this accountability and corporate structure and governance, and that it was literally the wrong the wrong hammer for the wrong nail and the wrong mm-hmm. the whole. <laughs> just, yeah. you, I, I need to build. I need a hammer, but I have a paintbrush. So oh, okay, I'll just paint. It anyways yeah. kind, of, kind of kind of mindset yeah. mm-hmm. and so within performance my my take always is what are you measuring hmm. and what for and that would be your first place to start and actually you know performance would benefit from people looking at are we providing enough challenge because you know when we talk about the best things in our lives that we've achieved we didn't do them easily it were hard work we liked that challenge so we want that support within that are we paying enough attention what's your recognition like oh you know is there a two-way com- continuous conversation in that performance area uh, are there opportunities for growth like where do you want to go and how am i going to help you get there leaders don't like that conversation because that means you might leave but yes it means you might come yeah. back again too okay that's all right um you know, and two, when we talk about performance, are you paying people fairly? Because, you know, it, that has to be taken care of before any of this really can take place. Well, it's almost like the the hierarchy of needs. Kind of, if that's yeah. not there, the rest all just becomes noisy a little bit because yeah. fundamentally I'm not able to either support myself in the world that I live in and, you know, all uh, the whole can money buy happiness theory. Like at a certain dollar value, actually it does deteriorate. Like there is a point where no, more doesn't make it happen, doesn't make it better. And I know happiness is another, that's a whole nother podcast for another day, maybe seven or eight podcasts. <laughs> It's uh, a big. That's a big one. But making sure you meet that minimum standard of what it costs for that individual to participate in our society. If not, that you're not even going to get to the ultimate level of the hierarchy because you've not the fundamentals aren't there. Yeah, and and if you think about the way that lots of places do their performance, so that you set your goals, and if you achieve your goals, I'll pay you a bonus, which allows you to live in society. Okay, so we're that's the way that it works in lot of places. Well, it, okay, we've already talked about us being human and being adult. We're not stupid. So I'm going to set my goals so I can get my bonus. What kind of goal are you going to set? The easiest one ever. Is that growing your business? No, <laughs> but we don't care. Because, so it just of course. This doesn't make sense to us. And so how can, we, how can I switch that conversation so that I can, you know, reward my people appropriately and i i'm not convinced that a once a year bonus is the way to reward people honestly i I think we totally no i don't i don't know that people are brave enough to let go of that because so many people have done so well by it so they want to hang on to it Mm. but but setting a goal Hmm. to get a business doesn't encourage anybody to set something that might not work but it might work and so we're not prepared to take that risk because our livelihood is attached to the risk. It doesn't correlate. And you hear yeah. those stories, and it's always the big companies, but I think it was Google who paid the team that were looking at self-driving cars. They paid them a bonus because they stopped and said, we're not ready. We can't do this. Hmm. We don't see that or hear that kind of language at a relative term anywhere else. So people don't try. 
And then when we don't try, we don't grow. And then we wonder why we get left behind. Interesting. The last couple of years, we implemented John Dewar's OKR model. And when you read his book, Measure What Matters, he talks a lot about working with those companies in the Valley and the moonshots and teaching your, like that's like 30% of your goals need to be basically com- almost completely unrealistic yes. because what you the benefit of just shooting at it is still going to get you farther than if you never put the target up and said, oh my, I'll never hit that target. But it's an interesting culture of like, well, that's okay. That was one of our moonshots. and But what did we learn because we took the shot yeah. even though we didn't get there? And so yeah, it was the first one I really appreciate it because he really laid it out. Like you don't have to hit, if you're hitting all your goals, you're not setting your goals properly. And I'm like, I do appreciate that. And oh, but that feels like failure, which is fun to talk about, but not fun to have happen to you. you. It's an interesting, (laughs) yeah, back back to our beliefs and all of our structures. Jenny, thank you so much as always for coming on, being willing to chat, letting me kind of just throw whatever random question comes out. I wouldn't say it's random. What question (laughs) comes out and you you meet them all with enthusiasm, which I appreciate. how do people obviously say, but what's the best way for people to reach out? Uh, I really encourage people to reach out and chat with you. I, I selfishly enjoy it every time. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so yes, if if it's a content-based, go find states. They're easy to find. Um, probably the easiest way to connect with me at the moment is on LinkedIn. And I, you can find me on LinkedIn. If you can't find me, find Tyler. He can find me. Um, there's a direct <laughs> yes, message platform there. And then from there, we can connect there as well. That's probably the easiest, simple way to do it. Appreciate that, Jenny. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your insights. And thank you for the amazing work you're doing to make our city uh, and our province and all of our humans a little less messy. <laughs> and thank you too. Thanks so much, Tyler. Number four was fun. <laughs> number four. Yeah. I think I see number five in our future, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get ahead of my skis here, but I, I'm, I'm going to boldly predict it. All right. We'll be back. Thank you. 